God, we thank you for bringing us here tonight on this rainy day. And we pray, Lord, that you would wake us up. We pray that we would hear from you tonight. We pray we would be encouraged. We would be challenged. I pray you would comfort those who feel beat up by life, who feel like they're in bondage, and those who feel like they're on top of the world or feel like they couldn't, they don't really need anything, I pray you'd challenge them. I pray you'd, you'd stir them up. I pray that they would feel like, what is it that I can do for God? I pray that every one of us, whatever our need is, that you would meet it, that you would speak to us where we're at in our situation so that, Lord, we would love you. We'd walk out of here loving you a little more, that we would walk out of here having a little bit more of a sense of the sin in our lives and the things we need to change, that we would walk out of here better equipped to share your hope with our neighbors, with our family, with the people we work with. Lord, change us and transform us as we open up your word now. Lord, we pray that you would open us up as we read your word. You're the one, Holy Spirit, who reads us. Would you convict us and guide us and comfort us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I need a little extra water because I'm going to read a lot of scripture today. Turn with me to page 47 in these red Bibles. We have more in the back. As Ben was saying, if you need a Bible, these are ours. Now, the black ones, the pews, they're, they're First Baptists. Um, I do not want to get in trouble by saying take those. But these ones you can take. <laughs> if you take the black ones, you're stealing. Okay? <laughs> and we, I do not need to get any reason <laughs> to be accused of stealing. But... Um, Follow along with me. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Let's read Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all his brothers and all the generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. I want you to notice five times in one verse, God is basically saying the same thing, right? Moses is writing this in God is speaking through Moses and he says five times. Basically, there's a lot of people. A lot of people. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. And when war breaks out, they will join our enemies Fight against us and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them 
with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Dread. It's not a word we use every day, right? They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in a brick and mortar and in all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all this work on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Sapphira and the second whose name was Pua, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had told them. And they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. Now, can you picture how bold these women are to the king of Egypt? (laughs) So God was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very numerous. And since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. It's the word of God. What do we see here? What we see here is the title of my sermon, which is Addition in Adversity. God keeps adding to his people, even though they keep facing adversity. And in fact, the more adversity they face, the more they seem to prosper. And it's hard to even count how many times, even randomly it seems, like in the narrative later, that the word of God just keeps entering in there and they prospered and they multiplied and they became more and more. And the Egyptians came to dread these Israelites. Israelites are God's chosen people. God often uses trials and the hardest points in our lives to teach us, to grow us, to stretch us. Anybody say amen to that? C.S. Lewis famously once said, That God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And some of us are like, can God stop shouting for a little bit? (laughs) Right? Like, Like, I think I got the lesson. He's been shouting for a while. If God shouts in our pain, I've been going through some pain, Lord, and I... Think you've been shouting so much that I'm about to have my eardrums break and I can't hear no more. (laughs) Some of us would like God to whisper to us a little bit more in our lives, right? We would like to sit by the fire with a nice drink 
have the wind be the exact like seven miles coming from the south. The fire's looking nice. We have great conversations with our friends. It's never boring, never awkward. And then when we just want to be by ourselves, they disappear. <laughs> and we just experience pleasure. <laughs> and the fact is, God does whisper to us in the good things of this life. He does. There's all kinds of things in this life that point to the fact that God made this beautiful world and he made it good. The problem is that sometimes we lose the ability to enjoy God's good world. And, uh, you know, without humility, it is impossible to enjoy anything. If you don't have humility, you cannot enjoy anything. You're like the guy, you know, you're like the, um, you know, that, that kid, you know, 19-year-old kid from the inner city, not naming any names. I don't know who we're talking about. <laughs> then we take him over and we ride him over to the Grand Canyon, right? And he's, he's sitting at the end of the Grand Canyon, and he's, and he's like, he's playing on my phone, his phone. He's playing on his phone right now, and I'm preaching the Word of God, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, is that um, it's fun to joke on Jahani. But also what I'm trying to say is that we often lack humility. And we could be standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon or something beautiful, something great, and just be like kind of playing on our phone, kind of like, whatever, I saw this on BBC Earth. It was way cooler. The drone flew down into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and we just have no humility. And when we have no humility, we can't enjoy things. And all that we're left with is this deformed, twisted kind of humor that, that is always laughing at the emptiness that's inside of us. We're always cynical, we're always doubting, we're always having this kind of cloud over us. We love irony because we can't just enjoy things with face value. There has to be something underneath of it. We have to stand back and be like, yeah, that looks beautiful, but I know the real story. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was airbrushed. Moon landing, green screen. You know, like we always have some kind of thing that we're able to say, we see beyond that. Instead of just simply enjoying the whispers of God. So sometimes he's got to turn the volume up on us. Spiritual Christians, and not just spiritual, not just Christians in name only, you know, they're supposed to laugh louder than they did before they were Christians. And they're supposed to cry harder before they were Christians. Now I know sometimes, and I'll get in trouble for saying this, I don't care. Sometimes we get this impression that Christians should walk away, walk around all day, 24-7, with a Joel Olstein-sized smile on their face at all times. <laughs> they should always be positive. They should always be smiling, right? And the reality is, is that we 
go to the valley and we go to the mountaintop, right? We used to kind of live in the shadowland. We used to kind of try to numb away our pain. We used to try to avoid crying with people, avoid facing things head on. And at the same time, we never really experienced the simple joys like we used to. And I know that some of you totally are vibing with what I'm saying right now. When you walk spiritually, when you pray, life doesn't get easier. The volume turns up. Life doesn't turn into, you know, leave it to beaver, you know, black and white, and everything is more simple and easier. It becomes vivid, in color, in high definition. And now we have to wake up and face the world and see it in its complexity. And the children of Israel here are certainly crying. And here's a test for you. Now, when you read that passage, does your mind jump immediately to, like, and gloss over the fact that twice the king of Egypt put a hit out on hundreds of thousands of babies? Did your mind gloss over that and you're just like waiting for the lesson, the little fortune cookie spiritual lesson that's going to come later because we've been in church for so long some of us and we know that there's going to be a little one-liner coming at the end (laughs) or are we just like we read that narrative and we say yeah that's more than than i could handle that's more than they could handle the king of egypt told the midwives kill the babies, the baby boys. And when that didn't work, he told all his people, go out and find the sons and drown them in the Nile. What do we see in this text? We see a group of 70 descendants, 70 descendants of Jacob And in 400 years, they come to be about two to three million people strong. How is that possible? Where am I getting that number? Well, when they leave, we'll find out later in the story that there were counted 600 men, adult men, and not counting servants, not counting helpers, not counting the wives, not counting the single women, the midwives, not counting all the children. And how does that even happen? Well, it happens when you double your population every 25 years, which would have been insane for the first 3,000 years people read this story. But for the last 100 years, that's exactly what's happened. For the last 100 years, every 25 years, the population on this earth has doubled. And here you have 400 years of the population doubling every 25 years, which is incredible to think about because the people were living in slavery. They weren't living with modern conveniences. They were slaves. They were not given land. They were not given security. They were not given medicine. They were not given any kind of status. And yet God's hand was on them. God's love was on them. And they were not forgotten by God because God calls his people the apple of his eye. 
you understand that, that you can think that you're abandoned by God when you're not? And there are, there are two different ways to be deluded, self-deluded spiritually. And, and one of the ways is to think that you're loved by God, to think that God is going to give you a high five when you make it to heaven, and you're not. Probably you've heard before, if not, in the Gospels, Jesus told his followers, he said, look, some people are going to come at the end of time, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, look what we did. Look at all the people we helped. Look at all how we preached the gospel. Look at how we healed people. And he's going to say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Are you wondering about that? Because this is the thing. If you know Jesus, and when you pass from this life, and you wake up, and you wipe away the crust from your eyes, and you see Jesus face to face, you are not going to give him your CV. You're not going to be like, here's my resume. <laughs> no one who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who follows Jesus, is going to have the first words be out of their mouth, look what all the stuff I did, Jesus. You know why? Because it's only grace. Grace is the only way we get in. We only get in by God just looking at us and seeing that we were helpless and he reached down and he saved us. This whole series we're calling Deliverance, right? Because every one of us needs a deliverer and we all need to experience deliverance. Look, I am not going to see my Lord and be like, hey Lord, you know, I planted this church. I planted a couple churches in Africa, and I taught these people, and I, I planted this church in this small little city that you probably, you haven't even heard of called Gloucester City. <laughs> like, I am not doing that. I'm falling on my face, and the only words, if I'm even able to speak, is going to be thank you. Thank you. But there's another way to be spiritually deluded. And it's not just to think that you are okay with God and you're really not. But it's to think that you're not okay and God has poured his love out on you. And you're struggling with false guilt and false shame. We can be deluded. How would you know if this is you? Maybe you are like, you hear about those people who pray. They get on a flight and they pray to get bumped to first class. And you're like, man, if I prayed for first class, like the plane would probably crash. <laughs> you know? Or you're, you're coming home and it's late and you're like, I'm not going to bother praying for a parking space because I know if I pray for a parking space, what's going to happen is I'm not going to even be able to park in my neighborhood. And I know that not... Only our West Gloucester people can relate to what I'm saying right now. <laughs> the other half of you are like, what? Just park in your driveway. No big deal. We can lose perspective. We can lose perspective. And, you know, God's people need to be reminded 
and needs perspective. The midwives in this story, man, they had perspective. These women had some perspective. You know, they, what do they say? Pharaoh tells them to do this thing, kill these kids, and what do the midwives say? Well, you see the thing about Israelite women, <laughs> they're tougher than you guys. <laughs> and the thing is, by the time we even get there, like these babies, they're already born and there's nothing we can do. Are they lying? Well, first of all, we know they're lying because the, t- the first says they didn't listen to Pharaoh. This is the only implication there, is that in some level they were lying. But on another level, listen, we, like I, I, I talked about tonight already, we lived in Africa and I've seen this. I, I saw one of the people that we lived right next to, she had a C-section. Unfortunately, her, her child had, um, didn't make it and it was in the womb still, and she was really pregnant. And she had to wait a week because she was out in the village before they could come in and, and get the baby out. And they did the C-section, okay? And then they get the baby out. They bury the baby. And then I go up to visit them and to bring them back a, like a couple days after. And you know what she's doing? She is out there digging in the fields for 10 hours. And she's sitting right next to people her age who just had their baby and their babies are wrapped right behind them and they are out there under the sun the day after they have a baby. And the fact is, is that there couldn't be more of a difference between the hard labor Israelites and the Egyptians. They experience two completely different kinds of lives. And like the title of this sermon, God adds. There is an addition in adversity. And what we see here is all these descriptions in the text about how he multiplied the people, but also how these people were strong. Like physically, they were strong. The fact that they had these taskmasters just coming down on them, what ended up happening? God was with them, and they grew stronger and stronger. And I'll tell you what, there is a different experience of life between the Gloucester roofer and the Cherry Hill real estate developer. There's a different experience of life. And it is almost nothing compared to the difference of experiences of life between the Egyptians and the Israelites. These women were strong. These women were courageous, but they were not perfect. They certainly were not perfect. And we, we struggle with this because this happens throughout the Bible several times where God's people make a choice and we say, well, I thought we were never supposed to lie. And we live in this world where we think that all of our decisions are either good or bad. And we've been taught that since we were little kids. And that's really difficult when we grow up and we're like, well, if I drive my car uninsured to work and I get pulled over, but if I don't get to work, I'll lose my job. 
If I lose my job, I won't pay my light bill. Dyfus will take my kids. Like, what I'm trying to say is, when we grow up, a lot of times, we realize that there are no simple, this is the decision we make today that's good, or this one's the one we make that's bad. And sometimes we get paralyzed by that. I'm so glad the midwives didn't get paralyzed. Didn't say, well, I don't know what we're going to do. But they, 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 they were clear. Our loyalty is to our people and to our God, and we're going to lie so that we can save these lives. And we know that God is gracious, and he's not looking for perfect people, but he's looking for people that will follow him and be faithful to him and be loyal to him. Because grace, grace is real. Officially, we see in this text, we'll close with this. This is more than God's people can handle. This is more than you or I could handle. I mean, not only did the king order these midwives to kill these sons, and now all his people are going to go out and throw kids into the river. This is more than he can handle. And um, what I want to say is, I, I posted on our group, there's a group on Facebook, if you're not a part of it, where we share things. People share their needs or if they have something to give or if they need something. And it's, it's, it's great to see all the community happening on there. And I shared this article about five things that Christians say that aren't in the Bible. And one of them is, God will never give you more than you can handle. And that is one of my pet peeves. Because <laughs> you will never find anything like that in the scriptures. It's close to God helps those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible, but Ben Franklin said that. <laughs> At least the local guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> God allowed these people to go through more than they could handle. But he also he sent them a deliverer. And you and I, we also, we need a deliverer. We need help. We need a church. We need a savior. We need God. We're blind, pitiful, poor, helpless, and we need him. He's not impressed with your self-deliverance. Drugs is a form of self-deliverance. You're getting a little taste of heaven now. You're numbing, you're distracting, and you're drowning your issues right now. Wealth is a self-deliverance project. Where you're, well, money will promise you comfort, security. It'll promise you a sense of value. And it will eat away at your soul if you're successful at it. And if you're not successful at it, you'll be frustrated. Because <laughs> you're losing the game <laughs> that you're, you're playing. Relationships can be self-deliverance. We turn a blind eye to abuse. I'm talking here about the Egypts that we actually are in. Okay? We're in these Egypts here in Gloucester City of drugs, relationships that aren't good for us, chasing after wealth, chasing after meaning and significance. And we can turn a blind eye to abuse, a blind eye to neglect, a blind eye to the fact that we're putting everything into a relationship and the other person's not putting anything in back to us. And we might think, well, I just need this woman or this man even just to pay my bills and live. 
and I'm just going to ignore all the stuff that's going on. And we're trying to deliver ourselves. We're not going to God. I'm going to ask you tonight to look to him, to believe that you grow in the hardest situations of your life. Yesterday, we went and we did home visits, and uh, we visited uh, also someone in the hospital. I would really encourage every one of us to do this at some point. And even if you're like the person who says, I don't know what to say, I'm awkward in those kind of, and unhelpful in those kind of situations, I'll say, listen, you don't have to say anything. Just come and listen and watch. Because this is what happens. It is medicine for your soul to come into a situation that you know is hopeless on your own and to pray and to watch someone pray for someone and to watch God work in impossible situations. He is a deliverer. He was a deliverer for the Jews in Egypt, and he's a deliverer tonight for anyone who would turn to him. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for being the deliverer. Thank you, God, for being the one who prospered your people through adversity. God, I want to thank you tonight that you invite us to your table, that you invite us to worship you. Lord, God, thank you for saving us. Thank you for being so kind to us. Lord, we pray that at Epiphany Church, we would be the kind of place where people, they just, they know that they will be loved. They know they'll be accepted, whatever their story is. And they know that they'll hear about this person who's a deliverer, while we have to face all of our decisions, and they're not good or bad, but they're better or worse, there was one man, one man who faced every decision, overcome every single one, and was always in the righteous column. And his name was Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that, that when we were the children of Israel, and we were supposed to be thrown into the river Nile, that there was one son that was thrown into the Nile for us, who was killed on the cross for us, and his name is Jesus, that we're going to read about and learn about Moses for the next few months, but there's a greater deliverer whose name is Jesus, and he's our deliverer. And he delivers us from our bondage of sin and depression and sickness and every kind of thing that sets us back. Lord, help us, we pray. Bring us to your table. Bring us to your family. Amen.